in God's Word. They're hoping against what is written in God's Word. They hope they can live however they want, even if it's against nature, and think it's not a big deal. I'll, if, if I stand before God, I will ask God for forgiveness after death. Surely he will forgive me. Or a God of love will overlook my sin. They hope in what is not written in God's word. That's how the immoral trust in their minds and hope that God's word is not true. Well, they have no excuse, according to Romans 1. And when, the, when in here in Romans 3, that all the mouths are stopped, all the excuses are done. Why didn't you live for God? Why didn't you repent? Well, I thought. Well, I didn't know. Well, well, well. Okay, all of the mouths of the world are stopped when we get to Romans 3. No more excuses. No more blaming someone else for your sinful choices. You and your sin in front of a holy God, you are guilty. And the law has shown that they're guilty. In Romans 2, they have no excuses either, and it says that in verse 14, for disobeying God's laws because their creator made them with a conscience. A conscience that even without the written word, they know it's wrong to lie. They know it's wrong to cheat on their spouse. They know it's wrong to be immoral. They know it's wrong to covet and to dishonor your parents. God's law reminds them of what their conscience has been convicting them of. And the moral and the religious of Romans 2 stand before God guilty. So we have creation in Romans 1, conscience in Romans 2, and now clearly what we see in Romans 3 are specific words from God from the Old Testament that are in your Bible probably indented so that we can see that it's a quote from the Old Testament, and you look at Romans uh, 10, 11, or 3, uh, 10, 11, 12, all the way down to verse 18, that God told the Old Testament Jewish people, God told the religious people that there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. That is useless to God. No one does good, not even one. When you evaluate how they talk, it's like an open grave. It's deceitful. It's venomous. It is full of curses and bitterness. Their actions are swift to shed blood. Their paths lead to ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. Why? Because there's no fear of God before their eyes. So, creation, conscience, and now God's word has left every single person in the whole world stop talking, and they're guilty.
and they know they're guilty. The law has shown their true condition to be guilty. This is a wonderful place to be when you're talking to someone and they have given you excuse after excuse after excuse for not turning from their sin, not repenting and not trusting in Christ alone. Oh, they've been trusting their good works. They've been trusting in their own ability to save themselves. They've been trusting in their religion. They've been trusting in, they hope God's word is not true. And they're guilty. And when they stop talking and start listening, now the rescue can begin. If you were trapped underground for 77 hours, there were times underground that drill bits above ground were broken and they had to stop drilling. And it was extremely hopeful whenever you heard drilling going on above you because a 26-inch drill bit makes a lot of sound, even underground. And there was hope as the drill kept getting closer that rescue is coming. But when the drill bit broke, and I think there was about nine hours of silence before they had another drill bit come in from out of state, <sighs> when are they going to start drilling again? We're running out of food. It was cold. They were all wet. They needed to be rescued. And when a guilty person stops talking, stops making excuses, and starts listening to God's word, then there's hope. Verse 19 says, because of this, we know that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from the law? Well, we'll get to uh, the explanation of how the righteousness of God has come, but it just mentions this here in Romans 3. We'll see it in Romans 4. We'll see stories of, of Abraham. So I'm not going to skip ahead to give you cross-references in the future of Romans, but we see, we know from God's Word, and when you see the law and the prophets in the New Testament, that's a way of saying the whole Testament, okay? So all of the Old Testament bears witness to what? That the law or the righteousness of God is revealed or manifested apart from the law. That means we don't get right with God by doing or obeying the law. The whole Testament points us in that direction. It bears witness to it. And so we see that in verse um, 21. I'm skipping ahead. All right, so the true condition is guilty. I'm sorry, verse 19. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That, that word can also mean in. It's a different word under than back in verse 10 where uh, under in 10 is you're under the domination of the law, or verse 9, into verse 9. Now verse 19, this is just in the law. So here's what happens. Whenever we trust in something other than God to be righteous, we put ourselves in that position, okay? Whether it's immoral, like we said, someone trusts in, I hope God's word isn't true, or I hope my good works outweigh my bad works, or I haven't done that much bad, Okay, there's all kinds of ways to trust in your own understanding, and all of it uh, realizes you need to realize you're guilty. And of course, the moral and the religious people, we see it in Jesus' day, the rich young ruler, we see the Pharisees um, in uh, the early church in the book of Acts, the Jewish people in particular, 
uh, very religious in Acts 17, uh, those who were uh, pagan and had all these different idols and worshipped all these gods. Uh, in Ephesus, it was uh, Diana of the Ephesians that they were worshipping, and all these gods could not save them from God's wrath. We sang a couple songs about the wrath of God. And we sing songs about escaping God's wrath because God is the one who rescued us from himself. And when you're underground 240 feet and you realize there's no way we can swim to safety, we cannot go out, walk out of this mine, climb out of this mine on our own. We are trapped. We're doomed. When, and we've seen in the last couple chapters here of Romans 3, We've used analogies like painting in, being painted in a corner and other uh, ways, so all wearing orange jumpsuits, all guilty. Now it's even worse. We are trapped underground, no escape. Your light on your headlamp is starting to go out because it doesn't last for days and days at a time. And now it's dark, cold, wet, and the only hope you have is that drill bit that's coming from above. The whole world stops talking when they realize the law has shown their true condition to be guilty. Verse 19 also says that it is manifested, the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I'm sorry, I keep going back to 21. Verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Held accountable to God. That's an interesting word. I think it's only used here in the New Testament, so you can't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. It's a word that, that means I've done, I know so much now and I've seen myself in Romans 1 to 3. I've seen myself as guilty and I know Based on what I've seen, judgment's coming. That's what that word means. It's captured in that idea of every uh, held accountable to God or liable to judgment. It is as if a child is told multiple times, do not eat a cookie before dinner. Do not eat a cookie before dinner. Do not eat a cookie before dinner. And they know the rules of the family don't eat a cookie before dinner. And mom comes in the kitchen and Junior has cookie crumbs on his mouth right before dinner. And Junior realizes he knows the rules. Uh, <laughs> wipe him up quick. Try to get, get the smell of cookie off of my, out of my breath and off of my face and out of my hands. Junior knows you broke the law. You directly disobeyed. You know what mom's going to have to do right now? You're going to have to get punished. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. When you break the law and you know you've broken the law, what comes after your knowledge of you have broken the law and you're going to stand before the lawgiver, God? What you know from Romans 1 to 3 up to this point is you are guilty and because you're guilty, judgment's coming. That's what's captured in that word, held accountable to God. 
Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No one gets God's righteousness. No one is right with God by the works of the law. Galatians 2.16 says it as well and throughout the, uh, New, throughout the New Testament. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I gave you a cross-reference here. I'm not going to. There are four cross-references for that. If you have a Bible that has cross-references, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We'll see it once in Romans 4, twice in chapter 5, and Romans 7, 7. We will see the how do we use the law for evangelism? How do we need to view the law? The law is not bad. The law is very good. Well, we don't like the law. Why? Because we are law breakers. Well, it's not the law's fault that we're breaking the law. It's the law. It's our fault. Well, no. See how we think in Romans 1 to 3 is we're looking for excuses for breaking the law. And now we have broken the law. We know we deserve judgment. We know judgment's coming. And we have no more excuses everybody's mouth is stopped. So remember in the painted corner where you got together with people that believed like you did and you got organized in your religions and you wrote up religious writings so you felt good about your breaking God's law and you got really sincere and genuine and you're still guilty before God because you're trying to establish your own righteousness. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day were highly organized, extremely sincere dedicated, genuine, not enough. You can't earn your way to heaven. That is so clear in the Old Testament and now super clear in the New Testament as well. Verse 20 slams the door of the prison cell. You're trapped. You have nowhere to go, no more excuses. And you realize no human being is going to be justified that's future. No human being before God will be justified by the works of the law. Here's the purpose of the law that Romans 3.20 tells us. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It is a sin to dishonor your parents. It is a sin to take God's name in vain. It is a sin to lie. It is a sin to lust. It is a sin to covet. How do we know that? Because the law tells us. It's that simple. Now, there's one thing if Junior has cookie crumbs on his mouth and his mom and dad never said, don't eat cookies. The fresh cookies were on the counter. Mom made them for dessert after dinner, and Junior didn't know. Or mom never said, these are for after dinner. Don't touch them. Or we have company, so you can't have them until company comes. But there was no law given. So then Junior's not guilty. But with the law comes knowledge of, okay, now it's a sin. And with the law comes the knowledge of sin. We're all sinners. The law has shown our true condition. We're guilty. As a guilty sinner, we realize we're going to stand before God and be eternally judged by God. And God's going to use his law and say, you knew the law. You have a conscience. You have creation. You have the word. 
all of those tell you what I expect, and you have broken my law. You're guilty. So you have knowledge of sin. The world stops talking. What you find in this text, though, in these four verses, is God keeps talking. God has talked in chapter, in chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. That's all of God's word from the Old Testament, quoted again in the New. And now we see verse 21, which I was trying to get to in verse 19, but now we're going to get to it, all right? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed. How has God's righteousness been revealed? And this word now has a Greek word that says, okay, this is a time reference, okay? It hasn't been revealed before, but now is the time. What is it that now is the time for? Now is the time that the righteousness of God has been revealed, and it's been revealed apart from the law. We are trying, and everyone tries to obey laws and thinking good works outweigh bad works. So I have the right list of rules for my religion. I'm going to try to be a good person. And that is not how God's universe works. That's not how the earth works. God has funneled, channeled every single person on the face of the earth to stop giving excuses to a holy God, to realize you're guilty before a holy God, and you're going to be judged one day. And the whole world is going to stop talking. So the only help and rescue, you, you need to be rescued, and the only rescue you, can, you have available is not by your works. It's from above. And the drill bit is working its way down to you. And now, if you're in that little cavernous space that at times the water was up to your chin, your body temperature is below where it should be, and you're, you're afraid that you're going to die. And then the drill bit breaks through. Imagine the hope after 77 hours of waiting when that drill bit broke through. Okay, this is what it's like in Romans 1, 2, 3. We're trapped. It gets darker and darker and darker. We fear more and more of the weight of sin on our shoulders, and it's crushing us. It's condemning us. And then the righteousness of God, our only rescue, breaks through. And it doesn't break through by us keeping the law. No, no. Look at verse 21. It's been revealed. God has spoken about his righteousness. It's manifested. It's displayed. It's revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And what is the bear witness? They're speaking. The Old Testament is talking about the righteousness of God has been revealed, and it's not attached to law-keeping. That's not how you get right with God. That's verse 21. God's righteousness is displayed apart from the law. And then, verse 22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How do you get right with God? Simple in Romans 3, right? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's it. It's not having the right list of rules. It's not hoping that God's word is not true and you can live how you want and God will just accept everybody into heaven. It's not a certain religion. We're not a religion here. We're not religious people. We're all guilty sinners here. Some of us have been forgiven. And we have God's righteousness on our account. We'll see more about that in chapter 4. God's righteousness is available. And it's available only through Jesus Christ. When that drill broke through to those nine men trapped, there was not one of them that said, you know what, thank you for doing all that work. I'm going to try to swim my way out of here. Not one of them. Why? Because they knew they were trapped. There was no hope. This is where God's word, the conscience, and creation traps all sinners under God's wrath, knowing it's coming. And the one rescue is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is available only through Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ. As that yellow capsule was sent down at 240 feet to these men, and they can only go one at a time, they had to get in. They had to be pulled up, not by their own effort. And when they got to the surface, their families rejoiced. There is such rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes to Christ. See, God has shown us in the Old Testament that there is only one way to be right with him. Psalm 2 that we read, I'll just refer to you to the two uh, verses up here on the screen. Instead of going back, we don't have time. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 34 says this. Isaiah uh, says this. Jeremiah says this. Throughout the Old Testament, there is blessedness in one place if you take refuge in God, if you take refuge in Christ alone. They didn't know his name was going to be Jesus Christ until Mary and Joseph are told his name's going to be Jesus and he's going to save his people from their sins. Oh, okay, that's our rescue. That's our refuge. That's how you take refuge in God. And Psalm 1 and 2 are the, in, uh, the introduction to the rest of the Psalms. There's five books of Psalms, but 1 and 2 are the introduction to the, other, the five books of Psalms. And Psalm 1 says, there is wicked and there is righteous. The righteous, are, the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. And God saves the righteous. How are people made righteous? Well, not by... Uh, rejecting God or his authority in Psalm 2, not by rejecting his son, by fearing God and trusting in the son. You can see that even in Psalm 2, written a thousand years before the son comes. We can see in the law and the prophets the testimony of the rescue. 
So God's righteousness is available only through Jesus Christ. And then look at the end of verse 22, or the middle where we're going to stop today. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Believe and faith are similar here. They're side by side. All who believe. God's righteousness is available to all who believe. Isn't this wonderful? Now think back through the person in Romans 1 who has given themselves over to immorality. And you tell them your immorality is causing you to be condemned by God. If you will turn from your sin and trust completely in Jesus' righteousness, he paid for your sin as the righteous payment on the cross. And how do we know God accepted that payment? He rose again the third day. He paid for your sin in full. He said he paid for it in full by when he cried out, it is finished or paid in full. There's the power of the cross that we just sang about. It's available to all. And we reach out our hand to those who are immoral of Romans 1 and tell them, there's a rescue. There's a judgment, but there's a rescue. And there's in, he's in one place. We tell the moral that are trying so hard to swim to the surface, so hard to find another way out of their predicament. And they're exhausted by going to church. They're exhausted by going on mission trip after mission trip after mission trip and still guilty. They're exhausted by memorizing massive amounts of their sacred writings and arguing with people day in and day out, and they're still guilty. And we tell them there's one way to be righteous. You need God's righteousness. You can't manufacture this. They're done with excusing, and God keeps speaking. How do we apply this passage? What should I do? If you're here today and you're not 100% sure that you are rescued, there is one escape from God's wrath. You will be judged one day. You'll be crushed by the weight of your sin and condemned for all eternity unless you repent. That's turning from your sin. And rely completely on the rescue of the only Savior, Jesus Christ. He is called in Scripture the righteous one. He is the only righteous one. He is our Savior. Rely completely on his death and his resurrection. If you are 100% sure, and many of you are, you know you've been forgiven. You know you've been rescued. What do we do with this passage? We take the truth. Don't skip over the law when you share the gospel. If you sh just share the good news, Christ died on the cross for your sins. Yes, that's the good news. But you're not preparing them to feel guilty like Romans 3.19 says. They're still giving the excuses. You know why? Because you haven't given them creation and the law and God's word and appeal to their conscience. You talk about the law and tell people if you have committed one sin, you're guilty of breaking all of God's law and watch their conscience kick in and say, they know what you're telling them is true. 
You're agreeing with their conscience, and you're using God's law to show them you're guilty. I didn't say this. I didn't write this law. I'm just telling you what God's law is and how you have broken it. You're guilty. So take the truth. Take the law first. Tell them about God's judgment. And when they are concerned about their destiny, you can smile and give them the good news. 